this morning we're wrapping up our series called New. Um, we have talked about a lot of new things, new clothes, new default, um, new just all kinds of stuff. Today we're wrapping it up with um, new hair. So you can turn to Judges 13 if you'd like. Um, Judges 13, while you're turning there, let me just talk to you for a second about hair loss. Now, I want to say this right up front. I am not mocking anyone who has hair loss. I mean, I am going to later, but nobody here, okay? It is, it is something that we are concerned about as a country. Um, I found out that if you um, are worried about the 50 to 100 hairs you lose a day, today, you, even those of you who have the beautifulest head of hair, you will drop 50 to 100 of those suckers today. The, the trick is for your body to replace those. And when that doesn't happen, you have hair loss. As a country, we spend $3.5 billion a year combating hair loss. It's a big deal to a lot of people. Um, truth of the matter is, when something goes wrong with our hair, we freak out. I mean, now I'm not talking about just girls. You know, that's not good, right? Girls really get into their hair. But guys get into their hair. I mean, they're like checking it out in car mirrors and everything, windows. Anywhere there's a reflection, they're checking their hair. We're into our hair. So when we start to experience hair loss, here's what happens. We do one of three things. One, we ignore it. And that can lead to really bad comb-overs. Let me make sure that you can see. This rooster hair is amazing, isn't it? Um, we have a couple more comb-overs. Go ahead and show the next one. That's not a comb-over. There's a comb-over. Now that is... That's creative, isn't it? And I think we have another comb over. Nice. I think somehow that comb over is attached to the mustache. Uh, yeah, I don't quite know how. He's got handlebars that he's wrapped up over his, his head. Now, that's, that's one thing we do about hair loss. We ignore it, and we hope that nobody notices. And I just want to say to you, if you're here, and I'm looking around at heads, I don't think you are, but maybe you're watching this online. If, if that's you, just wave the white flag, admit it, and cut that thing off, okay? Do what some of these other people, some people, they don't ignore it. They just embrace it, and they go bold, and they go bald. And sometimes, I got a yes there. Sometimes it looks good. We got some guys in here, it looks good on you. Um, we got some guys that it looks good on here. This is what Tom Hanks would look like if he was bald. Okay, I, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the fact that I said, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know why, I don't know why you're laughing. So, sometimes people look good bald, that's all I'm saying. And then sometimes people don't look good bald. Because, listen... I want to be respectful to the president, but that's an alien right there, okay? All right? I think we have a couple other bad, bald examples. Oprah Winfrey, if she was bald and did something a little crazy with it, I uh, don't think that's working for her. That's kind of an ugly bald. That is, I love it. I don't know if you can read the bottom. It says, irony, when hair won't grow on your head. Because he's got no trouble with hair. Well, he does have a problem with hair, <laughs> That's not a good bald either. Um, so you can ignore it, you can embrace it, or you can um, try to hide it, which leads to toupees. Okay, and, and there are men that, that go, and women that go hair replacement. Sometimes it works well for them, and usually it doesn't. I think we have a few bad toupees. That's, do you ever, um, do you ever go out in public and, and look at people to see if you can tell? If they have a toupee, we would win on that one. <clears throat> that's not good. Um, I think that's a transition picture, so maybe in fairness to him, we should see what it looks like in a couple years. 
I, I put this up at my own risk because I knew that if I showed Chuck Norris with a bad toupee, he would actually show up and kill me. <laughs> and then, that, of course, that's, that's a bad toupee right there, isn't it? Is that all the toupees we have, I think? Oh, that's, I was going to say, sometimes, you know, maybe we shouldn't be worried about the, the hair on their head. Maybe sometimes the hair problem is like, what if it grew other places out of control? Like, there. Uh, do you know that your hair grows six inches a year? What, what if your armpit hair grew six inches a year? And after two or three years, you'd be braiding it. You can like braid it together from the other side as some kind of, you could hang a medallion from it. You could do all kinds of stuff. Back hair, I mean, that guy's hair is growing pretty quick, but can you imagine six inches a year on your back? Ugh. And if you have that problem, please keep wearing shirts. So the deal is this, hair grows a lot. For most of us, it's a big deal if we lose it. Today we're going to look at the most famous judge in Israel's history, Samson. You've heard of him. Hair was a big deal in the story of Samson. We're in Judges chapter 13. Uh, there's a lot that we're going to look at today, okay? We're going to look at his hair, his hair loss, and ultimately hair restoration. A lot to cover. We're going to break it up into three easy parts. If you're going to try to take notes and you got a sheet, good luck. Get it off the internet later, okay? Just write down the, the things that are most important. I don't want you to miss anything we're going to say. The three parts are the good, the bad, and the glory. The good, the bad, and the glory. And I'm just going to walk you through as quickly as I can four chapters from the Bible. Okay? And I know you got six blanks up at the top of the page, and right now you're panicked. I know they're there. I'll tell you what to put in them later. We'll get to it. Here we go. Let's start with the good. There's a um, Judges chapter 13. There's a woman who lives in a town called Zorah. It's on the Philistine border. And this woman is never named. All she's known as is Manoah's wife. Any women in here like that? Wendy can relate to that. When you're like the wife of a pastor, it's always, this is Pastor Paul's wife. And she always goes, no, I'm, I'm Wendy. My name's not Pastor Paul's wife. I'm Wendy. This lady, you read the whole story of, this, of Samson, his mom is never named. She's infertile. Verse 2. And on top of her personal trouble, troubles of being a, a woman who can't have kids, who's not named, she's part of a greater struggle in her nation. Her nation has been held captive by the Philistines. We see that in 13.1. So in the middle of that situation, a barren, forgotten, captive woman, there's this promise of a son who would be so powerful he would defeat the Philistines. That's good, right? I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but infertility is a big deal in our country. And there's another billion-dollar industry because people want to have kids. And when you struggle to have kids, it's a hard thing. So here's this woman Let's just say she lives in Albemarle. She's never named. She feels like she's forgotten. And then God says, I know you can't have kids, but guess what? You're going to have a son. Woo, yeah! And not just any son. You're going to have the son who grows up to be powerful and delivers your people from slavery to the Philistines. That's good news, right? So she goes um, to tell her husband about it. The biggest problem she has is not laying off the bacon and the beer. Verse 4, it's in the Bible. Read it. Not only does she have to lay off that, she has to make sure that his hair is never cut. We see that in 13.5. And then she goes to convince her husband that an angel appears. Now here's how forgotten this woman is. She goes to her husband and she says, look, an angel showed up and he told me that we're going to have a kid. And he's going to deliver our people. And the husband says, uh, okay, I'm not sure I believe you. So he goes and prays to God and says, how about you show up and tell me what you really said? Wise, would you be slapping your husband at that point? She doesn't even, he doesn't even believe what she said. And so 
The Bible says that in verse 8, her husband asked God to send the angel back. And the angel comes back and tells Manoah the exact same thing that he had told Manoah's wife. I could just um, picture Manoah's wife just standing there like this the whole time. Mm-hmm. Tell my stupid husband what you told me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hear what he's saying? Sound familiar? Who are you? Manoah's wife. Rolling her eyes the whole time. So before we move on, I want you to get this. Samson is a good thing. Samson, his hair is a good thing. So when we talk about hair this morning, what does it symbolize? Strength. It symbolizes God's hand on Samson's life, right? He's never supposed to cut it. So when we talk about hair, that's what I want you to think of. Not just the bald president that we looked at earlier. I want you to think about, okay, hair. It symbolizes that God's hand is on Samson's life. It symbolizes that there's strength in Samson's life. Samson was a good thing. He was a gift from God to his mom. He was a gift from God to his people. And if we could stop it there, it would be a great story. The problem is we can't. And the problem with Samson is he grew up to be like a lot of young men today. Everything he did became bad. So let's leave the good. Let's talk about the bad. Judges 14 starts to mark the beginning of Samson's hair loss. And it all starts because of two areas where he was bad. One, he was a bad Nazarite. Now that's what he was told he would be. And so there's three things that you can't do if you're going to be a Nazarite. One, you can't drink wine, you can't have your hair cut, and you can't touch dead stuff. Those are the three things. If you've got your Bibles, look in chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. And you'll find that he touched a dead body. Because he's walking along the road, a lion comes out. I would love to have this gift. A lion jumps out and he's just like, everybody's like, it's a lion. He just goes, oh, it's like Chuck Norris before Chuck Norris got a bad toupee, right? The lion dies, and he leaves it alone. He comes back a little bit later, and he sees that not only is that lion's carcass still there, but some bees have built a hive inside it, and here's some honey, and so he just reaches in there and gets some honey and eats it, and he touches a dead carcass. So he's a bad Nazarite right there. Not only that, verse 10 says that when he went down to a wedding feast, he threw a feast which literally means, in the Hebrew, he threw a drinking party. So Samson's throwing a keg. He's throwing a keg party. He's like, hey, come on over here. We're going to have a big old party. We're going to drink. More than likely, because he threw the party, he's probably drinking too. So he's a bad Nazarite. And he's a bad deliverer. Anybody see the movie Hancock? That's going back a couple years. I wanted to, I tried to find, I couldn't find, I wanted to show the clip. I remember when Hancock's on the beach and he gets the whale, remember that? And he picks the whale up and throws it back in there and knocks the boat down. Hancock reminds me of Samson. Lots of power, kind of stupid. Lots of power, and he uses it for what he wants to do with it. That's how Samson was. He was a bad deliverer. He was more concerned with his own needs than the needs of the people he was supposed to deliver. Chapter 14, we find out that he fell in love with a Philistine woman. Um, raise your hand if you're smart. Y'all hesitated. That scares me a little bit. <laughs> Samson's not smart. Now, here's why. I, I actually, I've heard people say that he wasn't supposed to marry Philistine women because it was against the law. And if you go back, I'll, I'll give you the reference. You can look it up later. Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 3. It lists a whole bunch of people that they could not marry, but Philistine women were not one of them. So he's okay to marry a Philistine woman. But the reason why he's stupid is, what was the reason why he was born? To kill who? The Philistines. So I'm going to go get a wife out of the people that I'm born to kill and destroy and get rid of. That's just stupid. 
I mean, I know that some of you guys get ragged by your parents because, like, you go looking for love in all the wrong places. You try to find a girl who's just, you know, you want her to be really nice, but you, you just go looking where all the skanks are. But he went to the people that he was going to deliver and kill and found a woman and liked her. I mean, that takes stupid to a whole nother level. I'm going to deliver my people from you, but you are looking fine. I'd like to date you first, if possible. And his mom and dad are like, Samson, that's not a good idea. I mean, surely there's a girl from like our side of the tracks. And he says, I don't care. I want her. Get her for me. Now, I have heard kids talk to their parents like that. Mm. Mm. Not good. That's when, like, if your parents don't kill you, God will. And they got her. They went and got her. He's a bad deliverer. He's more concerned with his own needs than with the needs of others. Um, it wasn't so much that um, he, he makes up a riddle, verse four, chapter 14, verse 17, makes up a riddle so that he can trick these guys so that he can get what he wants. What I want you to see here is it's all about who. Samson. It's all about Samson. That's the bad of the story. Chapter 16, verse 1. As if it can't get any worse, he sleeps with a prostitute. All because it's what he wants. This guy is so out of touch with the needs of the people that he's delivering that he did something that most of us men would never dare do out loud. He called his wife a cow. It's in there. It's in there. Chapter 14, verse 18. Just write it down. I, mean, it's, I can't make this stuff up. He gives this riddle to these people, and they can't figure it out. And she starts crying and crying, and, oh, you don't love me, and, 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 and. And the Bible says, finally, he relents, tells her the answer. She goes back to the Philistine friends and tells them. And then they solve the riddle. And then he, has to, he loses the bet. And his exact words were, if you had not been plowing with my young heifer, you wouldn't have known the answer. And I read that and went, the dude just called his wife a cow. He's so about him, he called his wife a cow. I don't know what the worst thing is you've ever said to the people that you love, but to call your wife a, a heifer, not good. Samson is stupid. He is far removed from the purpose that he was born. He picked fights with the Philistines based on his own loss not on his people's captivity. He was supposed to fight the Philistines, right? Are you with me so far? Because he was born to fight the Philistines. But he fought them based on his own loss. Just jot these down real quick. Chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. He fought the Philistines to get back at his wife and father-in-law. So apparently, I know it's hard to believe, he called his wife a cow and suddenly things weren't so good. You think? If you don't believe the Bible, just call your wife a cow today. It's over lunch. Pass the beef. Beef. <laughs> just see what happens. My guess is you'll be living the truth of Scripture pretty quick, just like that. So he calls his wife a cow. Things don't go good. And so while he's out killing some Philistines to get what he has to get to pay off the, the bet that he just lost, his father-in-law takes his wife and says, I guess he's not coming back and gives her to the best man. He gets a little upset about that because, you know, that's, Samson gets upset about stuff like that. I would too. And so he fights the Philistines to get back at his father-in-law and his wife. You know what the Philistines do? Oh, no, we're not doing that. They go kill the father-in-law and the wife. And so the next time he fights them in verse 8, he fights them to avenge their death. Verse 15, 11, he reveals the motive behind everything that he had done. Because his own people said, dude, 
Why are you fighting with the Philistines? You're making our life miserable. And he said, because they have wronged me. 16, 15, 16, it says it was his fight. He actually said, I killed a thousand men. And then he complains to God about his thirst in verse 18. And because of all this, Samson gets a really bad haircut. My fifth grade picture, which I will not show you now, is bad. And here's why. Because my mom believed in buzz cuts. She loved them. I think they're, they're probably good to, like, see ticks. But when you're growing up, if it's not in, it's not good to have a buzz cut. So I would come to my mom all the time and say, Mom, please, let me grow my hair out. And she'd go, no, nah, you look great. Mom, please, I'm telling you, I am the only kid in my class with a buzz cut. Because long hair was in, baby. And she said, no, nah, there's no way, you're fine. Well, she comes to my, my school, and this is a little bit embarrassing to say, but I'll go ahead and say it. I was in a play called Hansel and Gretel, and I was a tree. I was a good tree. So I just, I had this really important part. I stood there like this, you know, whatever. And my mom comes in, she's, in, she's watching. When I get home that day, my mom's crying. And I said, Mom, I mean, what's wrong? Was I a bad tree? <laughs> She's like, no, I'm, I'm at the school, and I'm watching Hansel and Gretel. It's, you know, terrible, I'm sure. And she said, but I'm looking around the, the people, and I, and I realized you are the only kid with a buzz cut. Like, you think? I've been telling you. And she said, you can grow your hair out. So I started to grow my hair out. But my fifth grade picture took place in that transition time. You know what I'm talking about? Like, if you go get a haircut, there's a couple of days where you look like a nerd and should get a hat. And so when you start growing your hair out, same thing. It's like it doesn't know if it should lay down, go up, whatever. So I just kind of got this look in my fifth grade picture. It's, it's terrible. And it's all because I was starting to grow my hair out. Samson ends up in that place. This is when he gets the haircut. He meets a woman named Delilah. You've heard of her mainly because she was... In a great pop song. But she was in the Bible before she was in a song. She's a bad woman. And does Samson have a history of picking bad women? We've learned that, right? Okay. He, he picks a girl who gets the answer to the riddle and tells the Philistines. He hangs out with prostitutes. He meets this woman named Delilah. And, and she starts asking him, dude, how'd you get to be so buff? Do you go to the gym? Do you do steroids? If I marry you, am I going to have to give you a shot in the butt? Just tell me the truth. I want to know. It's like, it's like I, I can't tell you my secret, baby. Come on. If you love me, oh, we, I mean, we could camp out there, couldn't we? How many of us, female and male, have made the worst decisions because someone said, if you love me, and that's what she says to him. You don't love me. If you love me, you would tell me the secret to, to your strength. And all this takes place in chapter 16. Let's go ahead and turn there. Everybody good? Do you need to slap the person next to you? I was kidding. But she did it. That's awesome. So he starts toying with his power. Chapter 16. Verse 4, sometime later he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sork, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. No small amount of change there. Okay? She's, she's standing to make a good bit of coin. Verse 6, so Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And he answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs, let's just move on from there, that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other, woman, as any other man. And then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs, apparently from a store at the mall. 
that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the thongs as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. I need to move on from here quick. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. All right, so here's the deal. He just throws something out, just makes something up. Oh, you know, if you tie me up with this, I'll lose all my strength. And so she ties him up with what he said. And then she hollers out, the Philistines are coming. And he takes them all off, beats the dudes up, and she says this in verse 10. You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now. Tell me how you can be tied. And he said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. So now she's tying him with them. I put on, <laughs> I was reading this this past week, getting ready, and I put on um, Twitter and Facebook, Samson must have been a very deep sleeper. And um, one of the girls I know from my previous youth ministries, she put, there had to have been adult beverages involved. <laughs> Probably so, because he sleeps through a lot of stuff here. Um, she, she tied him with the new ropes, and then with men hidden in the room again, she called to Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, but he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, until now you've been making a fool of me and, tie, and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. And here's what I want you to understand. The third time, she's going to test him four times. The third time, he finally starts to get a little bit closer to the truth. He's just been making stuff up. Wouldn't that be a great gig? Just make it up. Well, you know, if you were to, like, stack seven cars one on top of the other, I would lose all my strength. And just kind of get in the back room and watch him do it. It'd be awesome. You could make anything up, you know. Well, if you caught flounder from the oceans over near India, just for the fun of it. He's just making it up. But the third time... He gets a little bit closer. He says, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the, on, the room, on the loom and tighten it with a pen, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, she took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pen. He had a lot of hair. Does anybody remember how fast hair grows? Six inches a year. I don't know how old he is at this point, but... Let's just say he's a young ruler. Let's go with 20. That's 10 feet of hair. That's a lot of hair. And she's weaving it into this loom. And he's sleeping. And then she calls out, they're here again. And, of course, it's just like it was before. He jumps up, pulls that thing out, beats him up. The, the, what I want you to get is this. He is toying with his power. He feels like he's invincible. He's continuing to trust a woman who continually breaks his trust. I mean, we could do like a whole Dr. Phil segment, couldn't we? Why do men trust bad women? Because they're stupid. It just what didn't take long. You can't get any like commercial money off that because you just answer it right there and move on. Why do girls trust bad guys? Because they're stupid. Because they don't understand. Because they're playing with their destiny. He's toying with his power. He's getting closer and closer to revealing the secret to a woman who has proven she can't be trusted. And so finally he tells her. She says, verse 15, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me. And haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. No one, no razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. Now let me just camp out there for one second, okay? Because I know this is not feeling good at all, but this is the segment called bad, right? Okay? <laughs> have you ever been in a position where you knew that you were called by God, but you had lived your life so opposite of the calling of God, and then you come out with that stuff? You come out with that stuff to the person that you're sinning with? Well, you know, I've been set apart for God from the day of my birth. I can just see Delilah going, do what? I'm sorry, I couldn't understand what you're saying because you're drunk. I'm sorry, what, could you put your pants on and then tell me that? 
Because like all I know about you is like we've been hanging out here doing this stuff, and now you're telling me you're set apart by God? Look, I want you to live your life so set apart for the gospel that when you tell people that you're set apart for the gospel, they don't go, seriously? I want them to look at you and go, well, of course you are. I've watched how you live. I have had those moments. I have had the moments where, I mean, I had somebody say to me, I didn't think Christians did this. In the moment. You're like, oh, God, how far have I fallen from God? That's where Samson is. And he's still so blinded by his own ambition that he thinks that's a good thing. No, no, no. No razor's ever touched my head because, you know, I've been set apart by God. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back one once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands, having put him to sleep on her lap. She called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. And she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him back to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. That is the bad. He throws his calling away. He lost his awareness. Verse 20 says he didn't even know that, that God had left him. He lost his sight. Verse 21 says they, they blinded his eyes. And he lost his freedom. Verse 21 says that they were taken captive. I'm going to tell you right now, some of you are there. So before we get to the glory, before we kind of wrap this up, let's, let's at least understand how this applies to us, okay? I want you to write a couple references down. Samson had a unique calling. Would you agree? He was born to deliver his people from the Philistines. Very unique calling. Guess what? So do we. Ephesians 2.10. says that before you were ever born, God prepared good works for you to do. I can't do Randy's works. I can't do Phil's works. I got mine to do. You have a unique calling. Samson had been set apart. So have we. 2 Peter 1.9 says that you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Holy means sanctified, set apart. Samson still had to choose to live set apart. So do we. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. So look, it's one thing, and I think what we've seen so far with Samson is this. He was born knowing he had a destiny. He was born knowing he had a calling. He was born knowing he was supposed to do something for God, that God had set him apart. But what did Samson never do? He never set himself apart. He just did what he wanted to do. It was all about him. He was Hancock destroying an entire city just because he had the power to do it. We have to set ourselves apart. We have to choose to set ourselves apart. Samson found himself captive because of his own efforts. So can we. Keep your thumb in Judges and turn to Galatians chapter 3, 1 through 5. Let's read that real quick. And we're getting ready to land this sucker. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. says this. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Which does not mean that people were just walking around like doing their nose and casting spells. Bewitched TV show. That was horrible, wasn't it? I'm an idiot. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? 
Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Listen, Samson got sidetracked. He suddenly realized it was all about what he could do. If a lion comes out, I can rip that thing up. He was the one that said it. We read it earlier. I've killed thousands. Guess what? You can't get there on what you do. It's based solely on Jesus. He found himself captive because of his own efforts. So can we. So we find ourselves like Samson. Blind, captive, far removed from the destiny God has for us. Thankfully, it's not the end of the story. Let me read to you the best verse. This is what you're going to fill in the top six blanks on your page. If you don't remember anything else I say today, I want you to remember these six words. I think it's seven. After you read all of this stuff, after we see how bad Samson got, how bad his choices were, the kind of women he hung out with, all the stuff he did, he's in prison, he's blind, he's grinding stuff in prison. And the Bible says this in Judges, chapter 16, verse 22. In the New Century Version, it says this, but his hair began to grow again. I want you to write that. If you've got a sheet, write it in those six blanks, seven blanks at the top of your paper. But his hair began to grow again. God is in the hair restoration business. I read that a couple weeks ago. Man, it just went through me. That might be the most grace-filled verse in all the Bible. Because God owed him nothing. God could have said, you're an idiot. You have turned your back on me time and time again. And now, well, look what you're getting. Just what you deserve. But that's not what it says. It says, but his hair began to grow again. What does hair symbolize? Hair symbolizes his strength. Hair symbolizes a very unique calling on his life. It symbolizes his destiny. And it began to grow again. Here's the important points. Everybody like me, okay? You good so far? Okay, this is the tough part. All right, everybody take a deep breath. He's still in prison. He's still blind. His hair is growing again. Now, let's see if we can make this make sense. What you and I are used to when we talk about God restoring is we're used to like a magic rewind button. That's how restoration is taught. That somehow if we say to God, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry, he just goes, okay, hold on, and takes you back and lets you redo it. Not here. God restores Samson's destiny, and he's still blind, and he's still in prison. I wish I could tell you that when he repented, he got more hair, he got released from prison, he had his sight restored, and he found a hot, godly woman. That would be a great way to end this message, wouldn't it? Like, who wants to come to the altar? Every single male. Dude, I'm in. Just give me the hot, godly woman and a lot of hair. That's not how it ends. It ends with a man having his strength, his destiny being restored. It ends with a man in verse 25. While they were in high spirits, they being the Philistines, they're getting drunk, they're having a party. They shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out from the prison and he performed for them. It ends with a man being restored who's still being called out to be the fool at a party because he's still captive. He's still a prisoner. 
When they stood among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so I may lean against them. Why do you have to feel the pillars? Because he can't see. He's still, is God restoring him? That's a simple yes or no question. Yes. He's still blind. He's still captive. I, I've been... Uh, I've been really hesitant here to like use a famous name because I know that that polarizes people. But I want to be very clear at what I think Scripture teaches. And and if you want to find a fairy tale ending, turn on any, just about any preacher on TV, you'll find a fairy tale ending because it makes people want to give. It's just not biblical. I'm going to make a statement and I'm going to back it up. It's time for you to stop asking God to make your life better. And it's time for you to start asking God to make your life count. In the American church, we're real good about asking him to make our life better. Because we are Samson. The good news is this. You have been set apart and called. You have a destiny for your life. The bad news is this. You have screwed it up, and so have I. But the glory is that God restores us, but not so we get everything back always, not so that it's like it never happened always. He restores us to a place where we can do what we were originally called to do, which is bring Him glory. That is your destiny. It's not to have the best car. It's not to have the best job. It's not to have a full bank account. I'm going to be honest with you. If I could have all three of those and fulfill the glory of God, I'm all in. I would like to bring God glory and have better than basic cable. But if bringing God glory means having basic cable, let's get basic cable. Because I'm not about... God's not trying to make my life better. He wants my life to count. There's a big difference. Let me back it up in Scripture because I know that's a very hard statement. Galatians 6, 7. Just jot that down. Galatians 6, 7, if I start quoting it from the way that we've all learned it, you'll go, oh, yeah, I know that verse. I hate that verse. <laughs> it says, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, listen to it from the New Living Translation. Don't be misled. Oh, I actually heard somebody read it out loud one time. They were like, don't be mizzled. Mizzled? Oh, you mean misled. <laughs> You're stupid. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. What does that really mean? It means that if we live for our desires, even if we love Jesus, verse 8 says we will reap destruction. Just because we repent doesn't negate that truth. Samson Asked God to forgive him. We're going to read the rest of the story in just a minute. But because his hair starts to grow, doesn't mean that everything's perfect again. It means that he's in a position to be used by God again. Some of us, there's no easy way to say this, but just to say it. Some of us mock God. We mock him like Samson mocked him. Well, God's called me. I, I know he's called me, and, and I'll just, I'll do whatever I want. It's all about me. At some point, I'll just fulfill the destiny God has for me. No, at some point, you'll be blind grinding stuff in prison. It's like, where's the good news in that, Right? <laughs> Here's the good news, is that God restores us 
so that we can bring him glory again. New hair means that God restores you to a place where you're with him again. New hair means that God restores us to a place where we can fulfill our destiny. It means that we will be vessels that bring him glory at any cost. God sees the mess we've made with our lives. He sees how careless we've handled his des- our destiny. And he sees how we've made it about our glory and not his. And he's got every right to leave us there, but he doesn't. Instead, he writes verses in the Bible that say things like, but his hair began to grow again. Samson says this, verse 27, after he's asked to have his hands put on the temple, on the pillars in the temple, he says, says, now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. And then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge. On the Philistines from my two eyes. I want to make this real clear, okay? I know we've had blitz through 13, 14, 15, and 16. I get it. Go home and read it, because here's what you're going to find. As strong as Samson was, that's the only time he asked God to give him strength. The only time. All the other times it was just like, I got it. I got it. I can quit drinking any time. I'm just toying around with this sex thing. I know I can stop. Do not forget that the God who called you and gave you a destiny, who created something for you to do before you were ever born, he will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. And the good news is, even in this place, When Samson called out and said, God, give me strength. Just give me strength for one more blow. What does it say? Verse 29, then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died. Than while he was alive. You are one prayer away from embracing the good work God created for you. You are one prayer away from doing more with the rest of your days than you have with all the ones you've lived at this point. Samson, for the first time, calls out to God, asks him to give him strength. He didn't assume, he didn't play, he submitted his life to the highest call, bringing glory to the God who had restored him. He basically said this, if I die, I die. But God, let me bring you glory. When the dust settled, he had killed more when he died than he did with his life. John 12, 24 says, if a man, if a, unless a seed falls on the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Let me ask you this question. If you want to remain one seed, just live for your glory. And you'll get it. I mean, we can watch TV, right? You can see professional athletes. They're living for their glory. They're getting their glory. Live for your glory and remain a seed. Lay your life down for his glory and become a harvest. What do you want to be? I don't want to be a seed. I want to become a harvest for God. Today, for you, could be the end of a really bad comb over. Some of you, it's like when Samson told Delilah, I've been set apart by God from my birth. That's like a bad comb over, right? Because they can see right through it. Some of you, today could be the last day you wear a bad comb over spiritually. Today could be the day you receive new hair. When you receive the destiny that you were created for, God will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. You've got a destiny to fulfill. The problem is, and I know this, let's close your eyes for a second before I give you a chance to respond. 
problem is I know that if I could get a lot of you to respond. I just have to tell you what everybody else tells you. Oh, if you'll just repent, just tell God you're sorry. He's cool. You're all good. He'll be your boy. And he'd probably give you more money. And who wouldn't stand up for that? Tell Jesus that. If, if any one person fulfilled the glory of God in his life, it was Jesus. So his prayer got him on a cross. Paying for our sins. I can't, I can't lessen that call. The call this morning is, do you want the destiny of that God has for your life to begin to grow again. Some of you have done an incredible job of trying to throw it away. <laughs> it's like a boomerang. You throw it away, it just wants to come back. You just can't get rid of it. The call of God is on your life. But I'm telling you, when your hair starts to grow again, he starts to give you the chance to fulfill your destiny you may very well come back to his destiny broken. But today, are you willing to say, I don't want God to make my life better. I want him to make it count for his glory. There are Christians all over the world who are making their lives count for his glory. Many of them don't live in America. Many of them would love to have just a small part of what we have. It doesn't mean we have to go live with them. We have to get rid of what we have in order to see God's glory fulfilled in our lives. It just means we have to make a decision in our heart. It's not going to be about me today. I'm ready to give myself fully to God's glory in my life. And if I die in the process, I die in the process. But I know that if I die, I will produce a harvest. Samson killed more in his death than he did his entire life. God, I pray that you would come into this place right now. Just as we begin to wrap this up. I pray for your amazing goodness and grace to fill this place. Romans is clear that it is your kindness that draws us to repentance. You are a good God. You have good works for us to do. And this morning, God, you are placing your hand on many of our hearts. We have done our best, like Samson, to toy with the calling. But this morning, God, we see how desperately we need new hair. And I pray that right now in our hearts, for many in this room, you would begin to cause hair to grow again. That we would begin to sense you are bringing us back to our destiny. And we'll be willing to give anything away to bring you glory.